This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 1st, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The powers of Customs and Border Patrol are massive. They have a wide berth to exploit the so-called border exception to the Fourth Amendment, allowing them to violate the rights of Americans within 100 miles of the border. That's where most Americans live. And there's good evidence that CBP doesn't have the same checks on their authority as other federal agencies. Cato's Alex Darasta and Matthew Feeney comment. When did CBP... When, would, when was that created or what did it grow out of? So uh, CBP grew out of a reorganization of the federal government in the wake of 9-11. So Customs and Border Protection is part of sort of the three agencies that manage immigration that are all under the Department of Homeland Security umbrella. So there's CBP, which includes uh, Border Patrol. And then there is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which are interior enforcement officers. They go inside the United States and uh, try to identify illegal immigrants for deportation. And there's U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which processes uh, visas. All right. So what is their actual role as best we know? So the actual role of Customs and Border Protection is twofold. One of them is to process people entering the United States through ports of entry, uh, making sure that they're not, you know, when they come in either as visitors or, or, or on other visas, that they are the people they actually say they are, checking passports, uh, taking biometric information, checking it against, uh, you know, very briefly against government databases uh, and other things like that at the port of entry. Um, the other role is Border Patrol, which is uh, patrolling between the ports of entry in the United States along the southwest, northern borders, and in, uh, along the coasts, um, on the land side along the coasts, uh, to m- try to uh, prevent both smuggling of, of goods that are prohibited uh, in the United States or haven't gone through the legal channels, as well as to stop illegal immigrants from entering. So I think it might, if I could just quickly add, when most people hear the word border, I think they they envision some kind of line in the ground. But thanks actually to statute and uh, in part Supreme Court precedent, the border is actually much, much larger than a line in the sand. Uh, So uh, thanks to legislation, uh, CBP actually has the authority to search vehicles within 100 miles of the maritime and land border, uh, which is a huge... uh, swath of, of America. It actually includes entire states. And uh, it's also a very populous area. Two-thirds of Americans live within that 100-mile border zone. So this 100-mile border zone, uh, Matthew, you've done a lot of uh, looking into this. Two-thirds of Americans live in that 100-mile zone? Yeah, two-thirds of people who live in the United States live within this zone. Uh, it includes cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., New York, uh, and and like I said, uh, entire states like Maine, Florida, and states in New England. All right, so what does it mean that uh, – what kind of authority does CBP have within that zone? If it includes all these states, it, it you, at least theoretically could have Customs and Border Patrol uh, haranguing Americans all the time. Yes, there was a recent story that some listeners might remember of CBP uh, boarding a bus in Fort Lauderdale to check for people's uh, citizenship. They they have the authority to search uh, the statute languages any railway car, aircraft, convoyance, or vehicle within this area uh, as part of their mission to prevent illegal immigration. So that means not only CBP boarding buses, but also uh, setting up what are called interior checkpoints. So these are checkpoints that are far away from 
the actual border with uh, usually Mexico. Uh, so, th- but up to a hundred miles, it's it's uh, legal for them to set up those checkpoints to check for immigration status. And an interesting recent finding by the uh, GAO looked at how effective these checkpoints are at actually apprehending unlawful immigrants and uh, illegal drugs in the United States. And we found, I did a quick analysis of of that, taking a look at the number of agents devoted to these checkpoints versus the uh, number of illegal immigrants actually captured. And it's one of the most inefficient uses of Border Patrol personnel if the goal is to capture unlawful immigrants and drugs. The amount captured by each one of those agents um, is far, far smaller at checkpoints uh, than it is by agents in the field or at ports of entry. When CBP uh, finds someone without the proper documentation, what happens to that person? It depends actually on uh, where they're found and uh, so, so for example, if I could back up slightly, if if CBP finds someone at the border who, uh, who does not have the correct documentation, they can be subject to what's called expedited removal, which means removal without appearing before an immigration judge. But uh, many of these uh, immigrants who are accused of being here uh, unlawfully, who are part of removal processes, uh, enter the... Uh, removal or deportation system. Uh, I know Alex has a, a few figures on the actual backlog here, but the the people who are subject to this process enjoy far fewer civil liberty protections that you or I do. Uh, so as many uh, will be aware, the Sixth Amendment protects uh, our right to counsel in criminal proceedings. But because these uh, immigration uh, cases are civil rather than criminal, they don't actually, uh, immigrants don't actually enjoy a right to government-funded counsel, which uh, puts them at a significant disadvantage compared to others. And even if the court system worked well and extended these rights to uh, people who are um, uh, in these proceedings, the backlog is actually tremendous to such an extent that it makes, I think, uh, it sort of warps the conception of justice. Of justice, Just to give you an example, in August of 2017, um, there was a backlog of immigration cases that was uh, 632,000 uh, cases in backlog, which estimates, estimates of that, um, people think that it will take about three to five years um, for people who are who have just sort of gone in to the system and have a case um, scheduled for their case to actually be heard. All right. So uh, these proceedings, uh, if there's this huge backlog of people uh, awaiting uh, getting in front of a judge, what recourse do they have? Nothing? Should they just do their best to get a lawyer or they are they detained? Where are they? So not everyone who's... Uh who has a removal case pending is necessarily detained, although those who are not detained uh, fare much better. So, for example, in in 2016, uh, there was research done by the American Immigration Council, and they found that nationally, only about 40% of all immigrants uh, secured legal representation. Uh, But it was actually worse for those who are detained. Uh, They wrote immigrants in detention were the least likely to obtain representation. Only 14% of detained immigrants acquired legal counsel. And uh, as Alex knows more than me, but the complexity of the immigration system uh, makes effective 
uh, defense in these kind of cases without counsel, very, very difficult. It would be akin to sitting in a proceeding in, in a foreign language. Uh, it's it's in, immensely complex and difficult. Uh, so not all of them are necessarily being detained, but, but many are. How have the numbers changed on uh, the Border Patrol over the years? So we've seen a very large increase in the number of Border Patrol agents. Since the year, uh, since 2002, the number has roughly doubled. In 2017, there are about uh, just over 19,000 Border Patrol agents in the United States. Uh, That's down slightly from about uh, 2011 when there were 21,000. But going back to 2002, there were only about 10,000 Border Patrol agents. So there's been quite an increase in their numbers over these years. But what's interesting is the number of people who are trying to enter the United States um, unlawfully during this time has also collapsed due to a variable, lots of different factors. So in 2002, um, the average Border Patrol the Border Patrol agent on average apprehended 95 illegal immigrants uh, in that year. In 2017, however, because there are so many fewer people trying to cross the border, each agent only apprehended 18 illegal immigrants during the entire year. That's at a time when their numbers uh, doubled and the number of people crossing the border uh, reduced by about 70 percent. So when the president claims uh, credit for reducing uh, the number of people trying to cross the border. How much credit is he actually due? So it's hard to uh, tease that out because it hasn't been much time since he's been in office, and we really need more time to be able to, to suss that out. There was a surge of unlawful immigrants between the time that President Trump was elected and he took office, and then it fell off after that. But the falloff was not that substantial relative to the trends prior to the November 2016 election. It was going down. It continued to go down at a little bit um, faster pace. But then by the end of 2017, we started to see the numbers tick up a little bit more. So I think a lot of unlawful immigrants were scared away by the president's bark. They were seeing that um, there was they thought there would be a lot more enforcement. And now that the enforcement situation hasn't really changed that much on the border during his first term, uh, we've seen the numbers uh, go back up to what we'd expect to be during this trend, which is still lower than in previous years. Um, but not quite as low as it was during the beginning of the Trump administration. How well do we know Customs and Border Patrol do the job? So it's difficult to measure the size of the black market with, with any kind of precision, whether it's immigrants or drugs or guns or anything else. So one of the chief figures we take a look at is the number of apprehensions of people crossing the border unlawfully. And What we can tell is that Border Patrol definitely has an impact on deterring some number of illegal immigrants coming across, but it's not clear to what extent other factors such as economics in the United States or their home countries, the number of people in these home countries who are trying to come here because there's been a demographic leveling off in many of them, and other issues such as like crime, social instability, um, and a lot of violence also influence uh, the flow. Um, Michael Clemens, who's a researcher found that uh, at the Center for Global Development, found a significant relationship in the countries in Central America, sort of the Northern Triangle countries of uh, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, that for an additional murder there in those countries, uh, you sent a, uh, a good number of uh, illegal immigrants or asylum seekers from those countries uh, to the United States. So violence seems to play a fairly large role. 
All right. So what about CBP's uh, track record of when it comes to performance and uh, getting the bad guys out of there? So there's a couple measures of um, performance that the federal government takes a look at uh, for all personnel. And one of them is, is a good measure, I think, of how professional the organization is and how well run it is. And that's called termination rate for discipline and performance. And that's basically the number or percentage of agents uh, by agency who are terminated for those reasons, for either poor discipline or poor performance. Uh, that includes um, everything from people who are convicted of corruption or crimes while on the job, uh, as well as people who just do a very bad job and uh, over time are, are fired by um, Border Patrol for that. So when we take a look from 2006 to 2016, Border Patrol, which is part of CBP, has the highest termination rate of any large federal law enforcement agency. The second highest is another uh, branch in Customs and Border Protection uh, for basically the officers at these ports of entry who wave people through. They have the second highest termination rate. Uh, And then after that, you have a myriad other agencies with the lowest being uh, Secret Service. So there's clearly um, something going on in Border Patrol. There's either the nature of the job or poor supervision or um, uh, poor punishment of people who misbehave that seems to lead to a very high termination rate. So, uh, we've, you, Alex, you and I have discussed this before when you first uh, came out with this data, but I'll, I'll ask it again for the benefit of listeners who missed it. What if they're just really good at rooting out bad apples? So that's an interesting point. That's definitely something to consider. Maybe they are very good at finding uh, the bad people in their midst. What's interesting, though, is uh, Border Patrol's Internal Affairs Division, the number of people who investigate um, these types of offenses, who go after people in their midst who are um, you know, bad apples like this, is uh, very underfunded and understaffed relative to virtually every other uh, law enforcement agency. So if the internal affairs at uh, CBP and for Border Patrol is that good, it would be one of the best that's ever been in, I mean, in existence in my study and research of uh, effective internal affairs. Basically, you'd have to more than double um, the number of internal affairs officers um, in uh, Border Patrol in order to get a ratio of internal affairs to officers that is um, similar to that of the NYPD, which is uh, has a notorious history for a lot of problems along these lines. So what is the role of CBP with respect to the, the plans that uh, President Trump, as we record this, is about to deliver the State of the Union address? What are What's the role of CBP in his plans? So the president's proposal for the border is a uh, we haven't seen legislation written on it exactly so this is all based on some bullet points that were released but he's asking for 25 billion dollars for uh, building a border wall and for other enforcement related infrastructure as well as some increase in the size of border patrol agents we're not quite sure exactly uh, or in the number of Border Patrol agents. So we're not sure exactly uh, what that is going to mean, but it will mean that uh, if the wall gets built, that uh, Border Patrol will have increased resources, increased infrastructure, and will be able to uh, expand uh, the scope and scale of its operations. How dangerous a job is uh, a CBP agent, somebody who is on the proverbial front lines? 
So I took a look at um, how dangerous it was, how many Border Patrol agents have died in the line of duty since the uh, creation of CBP. And on their website, it lists uh, 33 people. Um, some of them have been murdered or assaulted. Uh, many of them have died in accidents, so car accidents or drownings or other things in the line of duty. In uh, November of 2017, an agent named uh, Rogelio Martinez uh, did die in the line of duty, but it's unclear whether it was an accident or whether it was murder. The other agent on the scene claims to not remember. He had some sort of injury, so he claims that he does not remember. The federal government has an ongoing investigation. Uh, local police who showed up, a local sheriff's office, uh, said it looked like an accident to him uh, when he got on the scene, but we just don't know yet. Um, but to put it in perspective um, and, and to compare it um, to other law enforcement agencies, the uh, five Border Patrol agents who have actually been murdered since 2003 means that their annual chance of being murdered in the line of duty is about one in 53,000 per year, which is um, not that dangerous of an occupation or not that hazardous of an occupation, even though we all think of it as such. And, and that compares um, uh, quite favorably to the chance of an officer uh, dying in the line of duty in 2011, which is about one in 4,000. So being a normal sort of beat cop in the United States is much more dangerous uh, than it is to be a Border Patrol agent on the border. That's not to diminish um, the importance of the job or um, how dangerous the job is, but relative to other law enforcement agents, officers in the United States, it's not that dangerous. Alex Narasta and Matthew Feeney are policy analysts at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 